Hello, Valparaiso. This is Allison Shooting and Willow Walsh, and you're listening to Welcome Project Radio. The Welcome Project collects first-person stories and pairs them with facilitated conversation to help participants forge stronger ties within and across communities. We are we vision a world in which people are curious about and actively seek to engage those who are different from themselves. We are proudly underwritten by Asana Yoga Center and Roots Organic Juice Cafe, two excellent ways to feel good during a pandemic. They're located online at asanacenter.com and rootsjuicecafe.com. Theme music is provided by WVLP's very own Paul Schreiner. Thanks, Paul. Today we bring you three stories from the Welcome Project's Invisible Initiative, so listen up. To give you a rundown of things, we'll play three stories all together today, and we'll pause to discuss the storyteller's experience between each. And we have a special guest today, Reagan Skaggs. And, and it occurs to me Hello. that this might be a good time to tell you a little bit more about ourselves. Um, the Welcome Project is a story collection project that's directed by Valparaiso University professors Liz Werfel and Allison Schutte. And at the university, students can volunteer to collect, edit, and facilitate the stories from the archive. And that's how Reagan and I got started. So Reagan, um, yeah. tell us a little bit about how you worked on the project or what you enjoyed about it. Um, I did a little bit of everything um, when I got to volunteer for the Welcome Project. So I helped edit at least one video um, and I helped to facilitate some conversations and do some transcriptions. Um, yeah, my favorite thing was definitely uh, facilitating conversations, which Willow and I got to do together quite a lot. Yeah, and Willow, you've not really gotten to talk about like how you contributed to the project. You were with us for almost four years, maybe it was three? Yeah, I think it was three. Yeah, no, and I basically did the same thing as Reagan. Um, I was a sidekick along a lot of the uh, um, times we went out to um, host facilitations and presentations and Gary, and then we went down to Indianapolis at one time. Um, but yeah, but a lot of the same things, just hosting facilitations, conversations, just like the ones we're having, but with a group of folks been doing that for, for a few years. And, and obviously you can't get rid of me. <laughs> Wouldn't want to. Um, the other news would be that this is our 10th year, like, like official 10th year. We decided we started officially in 2010. So yeah, we're celebrating 10 years, which is kind of crazy. Um, some of you, if you've listened to other episodes where we talk about the Invisible Project, maybe have heard us give some context for that initiative. But because our stories today also, again, come from the Invisible Project, we wanted to let you all know that um, it was five years ago in 2015 that we, Liz and I, were approached by some nonprofits in the county, uh, Porter County Coalition for Affordable Housing, Housing Opportunities, Gabriel's Horn, and Dayspring Women's Center. They wanted um, to collect stories on homelessness and what it looks like in Porter County. And Willow, tell us a little bit about uh, some of the nonprofits and their mission statements. Yeah, so Housing Opportunities is a nonprofit that resolves and prevents homelessness for adults, children, and seniors in Porter and LaPorte counties. Gabriel's Horn helps homeless women and children rebuild their lives and independence with dignity by providing shelter, education, counseling, and referrals to community connections. And Dayspring Women's Center is a day center in Valparaiso serving women who are homeless or at risk of becoming homeless by providing education, counseling, and resources. Great. And um, when the uh, nonprofits approached Liz and I 
we knew we wanted to try to do something a little bit maybe more ambitious than just interview their clients and post their stories to our regular website, which you can find uh, today at Welcome Project, that's all one word, .edu, just by looking up Invisible Project. So we partnered with the Porter County Museum here in Valparaiso, and they were really interested in the idea of a mobile exhibit. So then we brought in Professor Yo from um, Valparaiso University in the graphic design course with her graduate digital media program students, and they did infographics for the mobile exhibit. And that toured Porter County, it's starting at the museum, and then it went to about 20 different sites before it came to rest at housing opportunities. So you can't see the mobile exhibit anymore, but you can still find those invisible project stories on our website, welcomeproject.valpo.edu. So um, our storytellers today definitely benefited from these organizations. They don't necessarily mention them by name, but they will be um, in the background of the story. So should we go ahead and start with the Let's first story? All right. Yeah. It's about, I think, a lot about pride. Nobody wants to be seen as someone who can't make it on their own. We're all human beings, and, and we all have the same strengths and weaknesses within ourselves. So you just have to be willing to look at yourself and, and acknowledge that and say, I can't do this alone. We would sometimes sit in a parking lot in our vehicle at night and just talk all night long, like, you know, where are we going to go? What are we going to do? And it's like, well, we didn't know that there was anybody out there that was willing to help us. I think, I think we were always seeking some some level of normalcy. Mm -hmm. You know, um, finding opportunities to be, to look like everybody else. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't want people to see what, what what's going on. During the day, we would spend a lot of time at the parks. Um, uh, here in Valparaiso in Lake Station, they have a nice Riverview Park, but most of the parks at 10 p.m. close up. Yeah, you're constantly moving from place to place. Uh, a lot of times on hot days, we would spend our days at the library, air know, where, where they had air conditioning and a bathroom facility there. And we uh, both love to read. And yeah, we both love to read. Yeah, nighttime was the worst. Um, and of course, you know, you don't really have that many belongings, but you know, what you do have, I mean, you know, you've got everything crammed in your vehicle and, and uh, you know, even sleeping a lot of times. We would park out away from kind of the store because, you know, we didn't want to, you know, in interfere. We didn't want to be in the way, you know, and then sometimes it's hard to sleep because, you know, you're just not sure of your surroundings and you don't really feel that safe. And during that time, I think that's most of our resources. We're making sure, you know, we have gas in the vehicle so we can move if we have to. Uh, we have food to eat, which was difficult with no cooking facilities. Everything had to be pre-prepared. And of course, you know, that's more costly too. Hygiene, for me, that was the worst part. Restroom facilities and hygiene. Of course, it was summertime when we were homeless, which I think we were fortunate because we could go up to the park and we could go swimming, and uh, we kept lots of empty gallon we jugs and we fill with fill them with water. And like I said, it was summertime, so it wasn't so bad, you know, having to wash your hair with cold water. And you had <laughs> but, to dump a bucket of water over. Right, <laughs> you know, and and yeah, we would kind of go to the park in a secluded area, and we would, you know, like 
bathe each other and watch and make sure nobody was coming, you know, so we could, you know, uh, help each other do that. Just and, because you're homeless doesn't mean you have to surrender humanity. The first thing that jumped out at, at me uh, was the first speaker, he says, nobody wants to be seen as someone who can't make it on their own. And then he also says, we're all human beings and we all have the same strengths and weaknesses within ourselves. And I'm wondering, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but like, I'm wondering, like, like, did that, did that stand out to you? And like, what do you think he means by that? Um, I think that, especially when I, I think of homelessness and particularly like these speakers, like experience of like, seemingly this, just based off of this one story, this very sudden experience of homelessness, I think that uh, particularly within like a Western or like an American perspective, there is very much this like kind of almost like an illusion of independence. So this idea that like, if you are, if you have a job, you're going to be able to be perfectly self-sufficient when in reality, like anything can happen to make the job no longer be there or something can happen in, in such a way where you no longer have access to the same things that everybody has access to, no matter how like capable you are as an individual, like that independence, that like self-sufficiency isn't quite as much of a reality as I think a lot of people would like it to be. Yeah, but it's such an American ideal, right? Like that you can do yeah. this all on your own. All right, you're listening to WVLP. This is Allison Schutte and Willow Walsh with Reagan Skaggs today, our guest. Um, I think this doesn't fully answer your question yet, Willow, so make sure that you reinsert it. But I'm curious for both of you, and maybe Willow, you can start like, we get such a nice detailed, well, nice is maybe the wrong word because it wasn't comfortable for them, but they give such a detailed portrait of what their experience of homelessness was like. And I'm curious about which features of that experience stood out most to you too. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. Like I think, like Reagan, a little bit off of what you were saying too, like we don't necessarily not only do we not feel this close to homelessness, but also I think it's like, it's almost hard to imagine like these realities. So I'm wondering like, you know, so it's like we would sit in our vehicle at night and just like saying like, okay, the parks close at 10 p.m. Like, and then the nights are the hardest because you kind of have to figure out where to go. And so to have this sort of like mental map of like when places close at night and like, you know, knowing, you know, to go to the library because it has air conditioning or it's like, easier in the summer because you have to bathe with a bucket of cold water over your head and like all of these fine details that kind of fill in the experience that you know like I wouldn't necessarily have, have thought about. Yeah it definitely emphasizes to me how vital public spaces are um, and free public spaces are to all facets of our community like obviously not just the homeless are using these public spaces but just how vital and how connected they can still let people be to a community despite like facing huge loss and huge loss of independence. Yeah, that's a really good point actually because they talk about wanting normalcy, right? And just to appear like everybody else, which you know you can do if you are just a citizen going to the library or just a resident who's hanging out in their park like that's a normal everyday thing but for them it has so much more meaning and yet they don't want people <laughs> to realize how much more meaning it has for them so that they can like you said 
be connected to their community even though they feel so insecure and vulnerable. Yeah, and it even feels like they're not entirely comfortable being in the public spaces too. Like they mentioned like seclusion a couple of times, like, you know, like we want to go to the to the back of the parking lot or we have to like hide in a secluded area in the park. And I know that one was for bathing, but I mean, it just feels like just being fully present in those spaces. I don't get the sense that they're very comfortable with that. Like, I, I like, I don't know, like, I think like what you're saying there with like the normalcy of like going to the to the library when it's not as much of a necessity for your everyday, like there's a little bit of a, of a rub there of, of, of using that space. I was so struck by the parking lot and like, you know, not wanting to interfere, not wanting to be in the way. I feel like um, a lot of our assumptions around people who are experiencing homelessness is that they are an imposition. You know, like at least um, I've talked about this before, like my, my stereotype of the homeless person used to be the person who's sleeping on the streets. So you know, either like the cardboard box that's in the way if you're trying to navigate a city street or somebody who's asking you for change and you feel like they're imposing on you. And um, that is, you know, to hear that someone who's experiencing homelessness like hates the fact that they might be perceived that way, I thought was an interesting way of getting me to really recognize that assumption that I was making. I wonder if you all think that there's other ways of getting at some of our stereotypes. Like, you know, they end this story by talking about like, you don't have to surrender your humanity just because you're homeless. But I'm like, if, if, but I'm, I'm assuming like my fellow Valparaiso residents, if they saw someone sleeping in a parking lot. I don't think they'd see their humanity, but what do you all think? Yeah, I, I, I can't imagine. Like I, 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 I don't have a lot of hope. I mean, I would say that, you know, there might be some kind souls, but I would say that if somebody saw somebody sleeping in a park, that would result in like a 911 call. Um, because I think it's like, it's, I think it's maybe hard to empathize. And I think that's what is a little, striking by this idea of like our storytellers talking about being in imposition it's like if you don't if you don't hear a story like this to to this detail of like of what it means to like find shelter every night and like find the next public space you're going to be using and, and to occupy that mindset it's hard to to i don't know like want to want to reach out and, and help somebody who who's in that situation because you think of it more of the impact on yourself versus on their impact and like and how they're experiencing it so i don't know in terms of like surrendering humanity i mean i don't know i don't think i i got to that very well i don't know reagan what do you think <laughs> well i think that um and, th and this isn't to put like the onus of this perception or this problem on the Midwest. But I do think that being from smaller towns or rural areas or just like rural or like smaller town, like homelessness, because it looks so different, but we like most people still have this major this, uh, this perception of big city homelessness where people are sleeping on the street. I think that 
it's a very big Midwestern sin in any situation to be an imposition on another person, especially strangers, especially family. So I think that there, I think you're hundred percent right, both Willow and Allison, but I think that there's this other layer to it where this value that is like really held just not only in the American ideal, but within like Midwestern ideas and small town ideas that like, well, if you are homeless and sleeping in your car in a small town, it's because it is simply because you are not trying enough as opposed to maybe an excuse that you would more easily have access to in a bigger place, a bigger city. Which I think really helps me understand better the um, husband's concern at the beginning about pride, you know, like um, how, how important that is to him and how homelessness just kind of devastated that for him. It's, it is really this, uh, because it's a cultural value, it's, it's a, a real judgment that you feel being made against yourself by your condition and situation. And you just assume that others well, he didn't say this, so I guess this is me now, like the judgment feeling like everybody is seeing you as weak as opposed to what you want to be seen as in terms of strength and ability to take care of yourself. Well, there's also um, to bring kind of, at least my understanding of gender roles into this, like he is a man with his wife experiencing this and I think that Midwesterners and again Americans in general are maybe a little harsh on like men who can't hold down a job or if he lost his job or whatever situation that they found themselves being homeless in I think that he might feel an additional pressure or an additional um like slight or insult because like not being able to provide for himself and his family but also um, men, homeless men are looked upon like much less sympathetically than homeless women and children. Yeah. And actually, um, I think that was very true of this initiative too, or, or maybe I shouldn't say that. Maybe I should say the initiative focused predominantly on women and children. I think because the nonprofits knew that that was the way to maybe try to win some hearts and minds. And when our city was thinking about, um, doing a um, uh, housing development over on um, Valparaiso, Indiana, um, sorry, Valparaiso Street uh, North on Calumet. Um, the city council meeting drew enormous amounts of people who were like, no. And it was specifically, I think, to help the men um, in, that, in that facility. It was going to be a, like a shelter for them or a a transitional housing and the city city residents were like not in my backyard and so much of it had to do with that stereotype of, around homeless men again which is not necessarily even the picture of homeless men in porter county our small town but um is informed by this media presentation or our experiences of walking around in a bigger city like chicago um, I think this is a good time too to transition to their second story because we learn a little bit about how they found themselves in homelessness and some of the stuff around gender I think comes up in interesting ways in this second story which is called Tailspin. Uh, when we first came back to Indiana we went to his sisters mm -hmm. um, 
and she uh, let us stay with her for a little while. Then we got uh, a place. And we both uh, got a job, and from there, everything seemed like it was uh, going pretty good. And we had been here four years when his sister passed away. And, and that was so, like the final straw for me. I was just, I was yeah. broke. Yeah. I was working. Uh, my hours got cut. Uh, Mitch had developed a lot of uh, physical limitations and his depression was like I said still there underlying um, but started coming out a little bit more when he wasn't able to work and that kind of threw us in the position uh, where we became homeless. A bit of a tailspin it was just in a very short time we went from like being level and then her income changed just the slightest bit and that that was it. It just we, took, yeah. kicked the underpinnings right out from under us. Right. When you're living it, and like I said, paycheck to paycheck, you know, by the time it would get two or three days before payday, and, you know, I wouldn't have a penny in my pocket. And when, you know, my hours started getting cut due to the economy, you know, business wasn't as good. I was working at a restaurant, uh, you know. It's like I'm driving 18 miles one way to get to work and 18 miles back. Well, that's, you know, taking a lot of gas. I need something closer to home. Due to my age, people kind of were more looking at me not as an asset but as a risk. Wow, you know, she's not going to be somebody long term. Uh, she may develop health issues. She may call off work. We don't know what's going to go on. And I think that was where I started having difficulties uh, finding employment. So when we couldn't pay our lot rent, they, you know, basically you have 15 days to either pay or evacuate and not having any immediate family or anybody that could help us or provide a place for us to stay. You know, our children were in Wisconsin and neither one of them was really in a position to do anything for us. It was kind of a snowball effect. We did leave, live in our vehicle for approximately four months before one of my co-workers had told me about housing opportunities. We checked into that and took us about another month and they accepted us into their program and provided us with a place to stay. All right, you're listening to WVLP. This is Allison Schutte and Willow Walsh with Reagan Skaggs today, our guest. We're talking about one of our stories um, from the Invisible Project, so stories of people experiencing homelessness in Porter County. And this has been, you just heard the second part of this couple's story. So, um, Reagan, what's the tailspin? That's the that's the title we gave to this story. When when uh, the husband talks about the tailspin, how would you unpack that? Um, basically, it sounds like one big tragedy followed by a couple small tragedies, and they happen in quick enough succession to just kind of push push them off of stability. Um, so you know, his sister dying, and then. Um, dealing with his depression. It sounds like he became physically disabled at some point um, and was no longer able to hold a job due to his physical disability. And then his wife, who was in the service industry, got her hours cut. And from there, they became homeless. Do you want to add anything to that, Willow, in terms of that tailspin? Yeah, and I think it's really similar to the to the other storyteller we heard from the Invisible Project, right? Like, it's just 
this this you know temporary thing you know it's just like they were there with his sister up until a certain point and then his sister passed away and you know just kind of threw everything out of balance and you have no support from there and then you know his physical limitations that he had and he couldn't hold down the job anymore and then her hours started getting cut it's just all of these compiling things that that put them you know from being level like you said back into homelessness yeah, I just think that metaphor of tailspin, like if I'm actually picturing the plane that's like going into that loop and how um, nauseating that would be and like this sense of like um, the, the absolute inability to stop things and get, get your bearings, right? Like uh, how frightening that would be. Yeah, and it just feels like there's a lot that would need to to happen because it almost feels like i mean if we're going to continue that metaphor there too it's like once that tailspin happens it feels like the further down you get in that tailspin i mean the harder it is is going to be to get out of it but once you've got the first ring of the tailspin you know once you lose your place to live or once you lose you know half of your household income it becomes really hard to kind of you know get out of the following tailspin rings that just keep you you know pull you further down it makes me think of not that I know a ton about planes and tailspins with planes, but like at least when you are driving a car and you're in a similar situation, like you get caught on black ice and you're in a circle, the biggest and best thing you can do is to like let it happen and not try to push on your brakes. But unfortunately, a lot of the time, especially if like you are living paycheck to paycheck, like you don't have time to let that tailspin work itself out you don't have time to like recover from your sister's death and becoming recently disabled and no longer being able to hold down a job because you have to make rent yeah and I'm wondering how hard you know sometimes people I think don't necessarily sorry let me say that again like I feel like people when they hear the word depression they think somebody's like really sad but if he's clinically depressed like then he's unable to sort of pull himself into a role of participation, even not even like working um, to help make money because he's physically disabled. So that's not a possibility, but I'm trying to imagine like for the, his, his spouse, like for her having a partner who's disabled physically and now mentally by the depression and she's encountering all this bias in workplace, whether it's around like there's not going to give enough hours because the economy is flagging or it's her age and they're not wanting to invest in her because maybe she'll get sick or, um, you know, she won't be around long enough for whatever training they want to help their employees with. So that just seems like another piece of this that they just kind of hint at because um, in retrospect, it seems like maybe the, you know, she's, she's been really capable, but I, I can't imagine what that felt like, like at the time. Yeah, it feels like, like disposition must be like, the only thing you have to hang your hat on at that point. Like, it's just like, man, if just this is just going to keep happening one thing after another, you know, like becoming physically disabled, uh, not being able to work anymore, you know, not getting enough hours, you know, it's just like, again, the tailspin, all the rings of the tailspin, it's just like the only thing you have is to, you know, face up to it in a good way, you know, put a smile on, I suppose, you know, because it's, it's, it's the reality. So 
you know, to kind of have that, that taken out from you. I guess, I suppose for her husband, that would make me think of, you know, his sister's death and his depression, of course. And then, you know, like you said, for her at work, you know, she no longer has her husband to rely on for that, you know, to, to, to keep up that, the, I don't know, I don't, I don't know if disposition is a great word, but like being, yeah, like just like, I don't know, like being able to kind of deal with it in the best way that you can. And so, and for her, I guess that would be, you know, leaning on others. And she's already said that they don't have too much of a support system. You know, their kids are in Wisconsin. They don't have too many, you know, family members around them. And so it's, you know, for her, I would suppose it would be folks at work that you could lean on, you know, like for that. And it sounds like she's not getting the support there. So, I mean, to me, that's just another ring in the tailspin, right? That it can't even be it's hard to, it's hard to face up to, I think, emotionally with all of this going on. Yeah, let me interrupt our conversation briefly here to remind people that this is WVLPLP at 103.1 FM in Valparaiso. And you're here today with Allison Schutte and Willow Walsh on Listen Up. Welcome Project Radio Production. And we have a guest with us today, Reagan Skaggs, we're discussing an invisible project story from the initiative that you can find out more about on our website at welcomeproject.valpo.edu. So um, Willow, do you, or, or Reagan, I don't know if you prepared <laughs> questions or do you have a question, another question about this particular story of how this couple found themselves homeless? Um, I don't have a question, but I am really interested in how maybe talking about how one of the big reasons, not only because of like um, this woman's age, she wouldn't get hired, but like the perception that she might eventually like become disabled. So like thinking about that, thinking about her husband's current disability and then thinking like what kind of social nets do we have for people who don't, for whatever reason, don't have family, don't have access to family. Like what, what, so, what do social supports look like for people who, are in those situations. Yeah, and um, I think that's related to a question that I had, which is that I feel like a lot of times, um, again, this is a perception thing, we often look at people experiencing homelessness and we think maybe because we're scared it could happen to us, I don't know, that it has to be their own moral failing and or like their unwillingness to work. But that's like not what's happening here at all. You know, it's like, it's the, the minimum wage, it's the economic suppression, it's the fact that like you have to travel to get where you work and that costs money. And so... I wonder what people are missing. Like, why don't they see how hardworking these folks are? And to your comment, Reagan, that we need these safety nets. Because I, I feel like it's such an easy uh, stab that we often hear, like, people should pull themselves up by their bootstraps so we don't need safety nets because otherwise they never never learn personal responsibility. Mm -hmm. But it, this story makes it so clear that like personal responsibility is not enough. But I, this is maybe an unanswerable question in some sense, but like, why don't people see that? I don't know if you have thoughts, Willow, from 
hearing this story, like what's like below the line of visibility? Yeah, I mean, I would say that it's, it must seem easy from the outside, right? Like it's just as easy as walking in somewhere and handing in your application and having an interview and getting a job. Like, I think it just feels that easy because I, that would be their experience, right? <laughs> to be able to have a job and to not experience homelessness in this way. And so I don't think, you know, folks who haven't been in this situation would understand it not working out that easily, you know, like not understand that like walking into a job, you know, being, uh, you know, our storyteller was talking about, you know, age discrimination, you know, not understanding that she could walk in there and just by the way she looks for the people interviewing her not to have faith in her or her manager not to have faith in her. And I would say that, you know, that's not something that we see because that's not something we've experienced. So I think, I, I don't know, on my end, like that, it just seems all too easy to be like, well, you know, I went to school and I went and I applied for a job and I have one. And why couldn't somebody else do that? You know, it's because I don't understand like all of the, the roadblocks up until that point. And if I'm not shown all the roadblocks, like, you know, age discrimination, disability discrimination, it, it, it becomes hard to imagine um, as, as like as hurdles. It, it, I think it's the idea is that it's just hard to see all the hurdles when you've had so few. I think it's also, um, Allison definitely touched on this, like partially a matter of that even with that mentality, the, the pick your up by your bootstraps mentality, uh, there's definitely still a limit to it, particularly if you are a person who chose not to get an education or didn't have access to that or hasn't had access to like some additional training or something. And you are, for the most part, in a lot of America, stuck in a service industry job, which are inherently evil. I'm not trying to say that, but they generally do not pay well, especially if you are in restaurant service because they can pay you, I think, $275 and then you're expected to make up the rest with tips. That's not enough for most people to live on. Yeah, we had a story that we played for another episode of the show where she was talking about um, the restaurant or the, the, actually it was the why, like limiting the number of hours that they actually gave out to their employees. And I think from the employer's perspective, that has to do with saving them probably money, like maybe for a healthcare, which they don't have to then cover, you know, and so like all of those choices that employers are making are invisible to those of us who are looking at a person who's experiencing homelessness and just not understanding, like, especially if the person who's doing the looking has a full-time job and has all the benefits. They're like, what's the big, you know, what's the problem here? All right, you're listening to WVLP. This is Allison Schutte and Willow Walsh with Reagan Skaggs today, our guest. I just, I, I feel like this comes up in the Welcome Project stories all the time. Like if you haven't been in someone's shoes, you just don't see all the day-to-day -day kind of moments or choices that make life hard or rewarding, but in most cases, hard. Yeah, I think about the, she mentions at the end, it was kind of a snowball effect. And I think one of the things like on top of that, you know, to not, like you were saying, Allison, like not experiencing each step of the way, 
I mean, I can try to imagine like one of the steps, which would be like, if I lost my job, then I'm like, well, I could get a new job. Why couldn't somebody else get a new job? Well, I could get a job because I've been, you know, had the opportunity and time and space to work on my resume, have access to people who can help me on my resume, you know, have job experience, you know, have access to people who can help me talk about that job experience. Like I have so many supports behind me that to even tackle one ring of the tailspin, it would seem easy. And maybe that's it too. It's like we can imagine the one ring, you mm. know, the, the hurdle to getting the job, but it's so hard to, to imagine all of these different levels, you know, everything that creates this snowball effect. It's not, it's hard to see, you know, the discrimination, you know, in tandem, you know, with finding a job, you know, it's hard to see how these things compound on top of each other to create this scenario that people are in. I think that's what's really difficult. Well, I'm also struck by, again, like, job and all of the discrimination that they themselves describe experiencing, but I think what a lot of people expect for individuals who, okay, you, I understand, you have a job, you, um, you are still experiencing homelessness or some real economic issue, like, why aren't you going to support systems that most people assume that other people have, such as family, such as, mm -hmm. like, maybe a church or um, friends or the, that kind of thing, but these people had just had a huge move. Their one family member who could have been a potential social support has passed away. Um, they don't mention anything about being a part of like a church or a volunteer or a social organization of any type. So like this is, this is a true lack of social ties that I think a lot of like average people or people who maybe don't think about homelessness as much would expect to kind of pick up those pieces or to help them pick up those pieces. And not everybody has access to those, those social resources. Well, and how easily would someone who like has a church or a bowling league or a book club, like if, if suddenly something had like the conditions compound for them and they found themselves out of a job and maybe because of a health condition, they suddenly had bills that meant that then they couldn't pay their mortgage. And so they find themselves homeless. Like how many of them are just going to be like, Hey church, <laughs> help. <laughs> I mean, we really don't like asking for help, which I think goes back to, um, the husband's point from the first story about pride. Um, so I, I was, I was curious, like if anything from the first story, like pops back out for either of you after we've heard about how they actually ended up homeless. Yeah. I think for me, I mean, it would be just what you mentioned, that idea of like, even if there are these opportunities there, even if there are, you know, structures like churches or volunteer groups nearby, you know, it's not, it doesn't feel like a comfortable thing to approach. It doesn't feel like, you know, they said that they want to feel a sense of normalcy so that, and they want to feel like, you know, they're, they're level with everybody else. So, so to go out and ask for help would be an acknowledgement of, of their situation and also letting other people know about their situation, which is something that they've told us, you know, they were trying to avoid. So I think we get to know that too. So not only is it a snowball effect, but it's also hard to ask to help get out of the snowball effect, I think. I think it's also um, interesting how he connects like humanity to like this sense of humanity to not being homeless or to like having a job. So 
just like again like all these snowball effects that like Allison and Willow are talking about and like these compounded like um, discrimination issues like and then on top of that like because maybe partially because of his gender experience maybe partially because he is an American maybe partially because um, I, I assume maybe like he had blue collar work or anything like that there are these values and one of those very important values for him, like as a man, as an American, as a Midwesterner, et cetera, et cetera, is that he be a good hard worker. And that is like very attached seemingly for him to like his identity as a person is being able to work and to work well. I think that's a really good segue into our final story for today. So um, this one is called, We Were Them. What we're doing here is very outside our comfort zone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that's one of the things we are trying to do different because people need to learn these things. It's not easy for people to open up about this sort of thing. Trust doesn't come easy to me. It is. It's very hard to know who you can talk to and who you can be honest with because a lot of people in my past, my experiences were that the more people know about you, the more judgmental they become. Asking for help wasn't something that I ever really did. That, for both of us, was a big step, having to ask for help. When we were living out of our vehicle, necessity drove us to have to go here and go there because you, know, you don't have resources, you know. We would, we would park in the Walmart parking lot through the night for sleeping so because we knew they had restroom facilities we could use. And when you live like that, you start meeting other people in a similar circumstance. And I was astounded at the number of people with vehicles and such. So, I mean, typically if you saw them, you wouldn't even know that they're suffering in this way. And they're all around us. We were them, you know, and I never, I never understood any of this. Mm-hmm. But I got a pretty good grasp of it now. I don't think I ever even really considered people being homeless. It wasn't anything that I ever thought about. You know, I wasn't a person who was going to be like, oh, there's homeless people out there. I should do something to try to help them because the thought never even crossed my mind. And then when it happens to someone like us, where then I have to take a step back and say, wow, it happened to me, it can happen to anybody. Because I would have never in a million years dreamed that I would end up homeless. What I've learned is that life is not a straight line. Mm -hmm. There's curves, turns, and then you even go back upon yourself many times. Mm -hmm. And it's easy to get lost. Mm -hmm. You know, to take one misstep, to, to take one wrong turn, left when you should have went right. And so to stereotype all these people and say they're this, this, or this, I can't tell you how wrong that is. Bad things happen to good people, and it ain't through no fault of their own. It's life. And I'll never hesitate to help somebody up after this. You're listening to WVLP. This is Listen Up. Welcome, Project Radio. I'm Allison Schutte, here with Willow Walsh and Reagan Skaggs. And we just heard the third part of a three-part story of a couple who has experienced homelessness in Porter County. Um, Willow, do you want to start with a question this time? Yeah, so, so the first speaker, he starts off uh, by saying, you know, what we're doing here is very outside of their comfort zone. And I wonder 
um, like what that is and, uh, and why you think that that might be? I mean, their comfort zone would be not being in this situation at all, definitely. Um, not just because being homeless is inherently an uncomfortable situation, but because it's not a situation that people would view pridefully or, or happily or successfully. Um, so that's a big discomfort. But then being open about this experience, um, which they seem to hopefully be correct about um, helping to change perceptions about homelessness and help other people realize that it's important to help other human beings. Um, but that's an uncomfortable position to be in, to make yourself vulnerable in the hope that like other people won't be vulnerable because you did it. Yeah, I remember interviewing this couple and um, I hear it again in listening to the stories we edited, like they say they're so uncomfortable sharing and I just am like floored at how much they share and how willing they are to share and how much like um, reflection and wisdom they've drawn out of their experience. So to me, it's and maybe this comes out of the fact that, you know, in, in this other life, I'm a writer, I'm a creative nonfiction. So I am constantly like exposing myself <laughs> on the page. Um, but they seem naturals at it to me. I'm like, wow, if that's outside your comfort zone, like you hide it so well. <laughs> I think too, like there's, there's almost something like, you know, to, to, say you know this is outside of our comfort zone but but be really comfortable about talking about you know in depth about their experience there's also something at the end that kind of links up with that to me and that's taking a hold of the he's talking about you know there, there's turns in life it's not a straight line there's lefts there's rights you take one misstep and you get lost and and that line that line really stood out to me because it was almost like it sounds like they felt like they took the wrong step. Like it was, it was their misstep. It was, you know, I don't know. There's the, the, their ability to really reflect on their experience and, and, and talk about it. So I mean, it is, it's kind of like, I don't know, engaging isn't the right term. Like it's for me, it is because this is so outside of my, it's really helpful for me as somebody who has never experienced this before to understand it more. But to go the step further for me at the end there, when they say they're taking all of these different turns and it's like them taking the turns, even though we know in the previous story that it's the employer that's not giving them hours and it's, you know, you know, not being able to have a job anymore or, you know, have a place to live. Like that doesn't sound like their misstep, right? Like that sounds like so many, you know, like, the, the, the supports around them are misstepping, but their ability to just kind of like take hold of this experience and like even like take, I don't know, to like put that on themselves for, for where they are and, and the position that they're in. I don't know. That's, that's what stood out to me. Yeah, about I that part. it has to do with some sense of, I don't know if guilt is the right word. I don't think it quite is. But when the, when our female storyteller talks about how I never thought, I never even thought about homelessness or conceived of homelessness. Like this, this idea that people need to learn these things. Um, I feel like that's a big piece of this. Like, um, 
they maybe want to take some control back over the conditions that tailspun them by recognizing that they had never thought that this could even happen to them. Um, so let me try to pose this as a question. Like, why do the storytellers feel like people need to learn these things? I don't know if you want to take a stab at that, Reagan. Um, I think that, I think that a lot of people, both that go through these situations and that learn about them, really think or at least hope that sharing these stories will help create less of these stories. So this very real thought that hopefully, because I'm telling you what happened to me or I'm telling you what happened to my loved one, we can prevent this from happening again or we can make it so it happens to less people. Okay, I, I don't know why that made me think of um, his, the, our male storyteller thinking about like being in the parking lot of Walmart as a person experiencing homelessness meant you saw like all the people around you who were in the same situation and just realizing how many people were in the same situation. There's something about that that's, I don't know, sort of astounding to me and makes me then relate to our female storyteller when she says like, I never thought about homelessness. I mean, how many times have I been in a parking lot and not necessarily been aware of like, or, or just assuming that everybody's car that's there is because they're shopping, you know? So that, um, I don't know, that level of not just operating at some kind of everyday doing my business kind of thing, but finding some way to be more, I don't even know what the right word is because curious doesn't seem like the right word, but just um, making myself more cognizant that not everybody that is around me is having my same experience. Like there's as many experiences happening as there are people <laughs> or we could even expand it to other beings, um, you know, like, and that, that that might mean I'm missing something and maybe I ought to pay better attention. Yeah, I wonder too, it's like, it feels like there's a couple of different things that they, they tell us. There's like this idea that you don't know how many people around you are in this situation, but also, you know, she says, you know, wow, it happened to me. It happened to anybody. And I almost wonder, like, you know, I, I could say that too. Like it happened to me. It could happen to anybody. And I don't know if this is totally related, but my experience of like figuring out I was like a queer person was that like, I used to think that like queer people were like, you know, they're like queer people. Like that's who they are. Right. It's like a certain type of person. And so to like figure out that like I was queer, it was like, oh, okay. So like I had this all wrong in my head. Like this is not like, you're not like a certain type of person. You're just like, I'm here. And like, this is like what I'm a part. Of. It's like, you know, it's not like a certain thing. And so I think there's like this aspect of like figuring out like, like homelessness isn't that certain thing you think it is. It's not like a type of person. It's like anybody can just find themselves in this situation and how easy it is to like finally, once you walk in the shoes to be like, oh, like this is what this is like. And so it feels like by sharing their experience, they can kind of 
help us to understand, you know, this isn't a, you know, you, you can't point your finger and, and tell us that we're a specific thing because look at this experience and like also look at how many other people are going through this too. So I think it helps us understand a little bit more about, you know, maybe, maybe sort of bridging that separation that we have in our mind of like what homelessness looks like in Valparaiso. All right, you're listening to WVLP. This is Allison Schutte and Willow Walsh with Reagan Skaggs today, our guest. Well, I think that goes back to Allison's statement, I think about the first story, so a, a while ago at this point, but um, about like perceptions of like urban homelessness and like what urban homelessness would mean to a small town person and like how those perceptions like carry over and then somehow, somehow like apply like these stereotypes, which probably are not true about the urban homeless either to you as a person who has like maybe an, a higher sense of like small town values. Yeah, I think your um, analogy, Willow, of thinking about what revelations you had when you realized you were queer and um, there's something about the way that we other people that makes them, this goes back to his comment about humanity too. Like where if, again, it, I think this is so unconscious, right? It just is happening without our thinking about it at all. If somebody is other to us, then we've limited them. We've like shrunk them or restricted them to something that's not fully human, I think. I mean, I um, had the same experience with uh, queerness where I, like when I met my first <laughs> lesbian, I was like, oh, you're just like me. And like, there was something about um, the way that I was raised and a lot of it had to do with the religious worldview that I was raised under that I didn't understand until that moment when the first queer person was a full human to me <laughs> that I recognized I had been dehumanizing people. And um, I don't think, well, speaking as somebody who has judged homeless people before, I don't think I realized I was dehumanizing them. I think I just thought that they, you know, fit this kind of image or something like that. Um, so I feel like we have a lot of responsibility here, uh, not just the three of us, but all of us. <laughs> to really look at this habit we have of othering people. I mean, my God, like if not, if we don't learn this now, like, and I'm talking about us as Americans at this point, just because, you know, let's keep it as somewhat specific. <laughs> Um, I mean, we have some <laughs> real othering problems going on in our society right now that are making it impossible, or I should say, it feels to me like it's becoming less possible to live together. So it's kind of making me think, Reagan, of your earlier comment about these spaces, like the park or the library that, or the, or the parking lot, um, that are actually communal spaces. Let's start treating them as that. Yeah, no, I, you just kind of got me thinking this is not a lot to do with anything, but just like being a person who has to be in a communal space due to like homelessness or not being able to like 
be at home for whatever reason and then just kind of imagining what it might be like to have to hear snippets of conversation kind of either degrading the space you're in or degrading that like homeless people in general like I don't know like public spaces again I think especially in these stories are vital and should be cultivated and I agree with you that like communal spaces should be communal but I wonder like I wonder what it's like to have to be in a communal space when you know that not everybody views it that way. That's a really good place to leave our listeners today. Um, you've spent an hour with Allison Schutte and Willow Walsh. Um, listen up. Welcome Project Radio here at WVLP. We want to really thank uh, Reagan for joining us today. You've added so much to the conversation. So that's it. Thanks for listening, everybody. Um, thanks again to our sponsors, Asana Yoga Center at asanacenter.com and Roots Organic Juice Cafe at rootsjuicecafe.com. We here at Welcome Project Radio love to support our local businesses. Want to hear more Welcome Project stories? You can find us online at welcomeproject.balboedu and wherever you get your podcasts. 